When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. Alright guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Hey y'all, this is Adam Marcus, writer and director of Jason Goes to Hell and Secret Santa. And you are taking a ride on Crazy Train Radio. Badass. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we had an opportunity on Sunday, September 4th, the night before Labor Day, to check out this year's AEW All Out. And it seems it was a pretty good show, we'll get into it, but boy, was there some fireworks post-show. What, what, what? <laughs> so, Dr. Mike, where should we begin with this one? Should we go with the fireworks? or should Let's we go? go with the fireworks because I'm sure people have read or heard 
maybe full or abbreviated versions of, uh, you know what I like is Tony Khan, like busted open, they don't, they just don't know. You know, they're saying, oh, he's just like copying like boxing, legitimate sports and MMA doing it. No, all the Japan promotions have scrums, post-fight scrums, and New Japan in particular, even when they tour in the U.S., the shows I shot, like all of the Santa Monica ones, the San Francisco ones, like the big, huge one, uh, G1 special in San Francisco, Cal Palace, after each match, they would have each participant. Like, for example, at the Cal Palace, it was Kenny Omega and Cody did a press conference after their match. So it's like hard. You run from where you're taking pictures in the press area. Because now New Japan's just like WWE and a &E. They only allow their in-house staff photographer ringside. You know, you can shoot with a big, huge, giant tripod like George Napolitano and I do from hard camera. I like getting, I'm more of a back, I mean, I like, you know, obviously ringside through the ropes action, but if I can't get that, I favor the backstage stuff because I can get, get guys like Okada and uh, and some other stars. Like, well, say I get Okada and Omega to pose for me impromptu, you know, whatever I want when I they were all in New Japan. But New Japan has those things. And so Tony Khan has this press conference and you're never quite sure. Some of this based on reality, the CM Punk stuff. I'm assuming the stuff with Cold Cabana is all shoot because he was using the F word a lot. And if you, you did, were you looking at Tony's face if you saw the, uh, I don't know if you, did you just hear it or did you get to see like Tony making faces and stuff? I uh, kind of was glancing at my phone as I was laying down the other night afterwards, trying to wind down and such. And I, saw that AEW was doing the live feed of their media scrum. So I go ahead and click on it. And sure enough, Punk was going full blast. I was just, I caught on at the right time at the start of the press conference. But I do want to mention with that, because I'm sure people are going, well, what got things started for Punk to be, go from zero to a hundred? And there was a, uh, I'm trying to think how, how to pronounce her last name, Denise Sonardo, or she's a popular YouTuber or whatever that goes to different shows and is part of the scrum. Well, if you look at AEW's feed, he just going full tilt with a guy from WrestleZona, Nick Hossaman. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Nick didn't even ask him the question. It was like exactly. agenda, and he just dove right into it. Where Denise's feed shows where things got started a couple seconds before. And Nick was first up to ask a question in which Punk goes, hey, do you do any stage shows anymore and whatnot? Stand-up is stand-up. Yeah. To which Nick responded, no, I don't. And who do you who did you deal with? Well, Scott Colton, yeah, Colt Cabana, and that all <laughs> off off goes Punk in his tirade, which is all over YouTube. So, what's Denise's name again? That's on YouTube, Denise. I I will let me look it up so I give her proper credit. But you're but, saying she because I didn't see that. Yeah. So, He's asked him something prior that might have set the, the stuff in motion. 
No, it was on Denise's feed, you know, which starts a few seconds before what the AEW feed was. They hit, yeah, whoever's, you know, calling for it's Denise Salcedo. Salcedo. I will send you a link to it. But it was whoever that from their PR department had said, all right, Nick, you're going to start off and like you would at a press conference. And Nick, hey, I'm Nick and I'm from, you know, like you fo- would do, you formally introduce yourself and all. And that's where Punk said, hey, before you ask your question, do you about the stage stuff and everything else? What's the wrestling reporter doing stand-up for anyway? I have no idea. Because I saw Colt do stuff with various, including one time opening for Mick Foley. So I didn't know he was working with non, non-wrestlers. Yeah, I don't know the particular story but apparently nick was doing stuff with colt at one time can i say that i hate hearing that because colt cabana is one of the nicest friendliest guys i haven't had any monetary interactions with him but every time i've seen him you know a zillion times at shows at wrestle cons being part of his what was it called five cent wrestling or something where he would uh, break down horrible indie TV matches. You know, he had like modern day matches. And one time he had Tammy Sitch and me adding some commentary, five buck wrestling or something. I don't know. But this was like his, one of his masterminded things. And it was a scream. And he's a great guy. So, I mean, I know we know you and I, and everybody knows about all the shit that went down with the suing of the WWE attorney. And that kind of, didn't that lead to the breaking down of that relationship? Because Punk, well, I'll shut up. You go, we go further. Because Punk, man, did he spew a lot of stuff in a short period of time? Yeah. To long story short, it because we can spend hours talking about that topic, which is old news. But started with Colts podcast. Punk was on talking about his experience after he had left. So sure enough. That led to the doctor, Dr. Eamon, I believe his name is. But it Punk talks about his experience and some of the stuff he dealt with medically and concussion and that system is back and just different things. Which led to a lawsuit of the doctor suing both Colt and Punk. And then, you know. They ended up breaking up being Punk and Colt because of uh, you know, coverage of legal fees. And you know, there was a whole mess with it. So their friendship ended up breaking up. Which is a shame. But we don't even know. This is the first time hearing that he was big time supporting Colt. or yes. Yeah. So, you know, that relationship broke down during the lawsuits and ended up suing each other and you know, that story is out there. So why didn't why d- did he not when he first came to AW a year ago, don't you think he would have worked that out with Tony Khan, the whole Colt already being there, Scott yeah. being there situation, and them working out how to coexist, however they were going to coexist, because now we're hearing at Punk's request that 
cult has been taken off of the uh, dark order and he's just going to be a ring of honor guy. But yeah, I would think one would think in a civil, you know, environment and like punk was saying the other night, it's, Hey, I'll, I don't care where he works, where he sleeps. Da, da. And obviously there was Good. a lot of anger behind it, but like you just asked, I would think that would have been part of the conversations. Hey, you guys have this history. How can we deal with this civilly prior to coming in? And that could have been a pay-per-view match leading up to his getting the title match with uh, Hangman Page. Is Can you imagine if they put that on one of their pay-per-views prior, you know, well prior to putting the title on CM Punk, is having him against Cole Cabana, having it in Chicago, where they're both from, I think that would be money, but, you know, not to happen, so. Yeah, because think about that. How many times were there real-life situations throughout the history of the business, whether it be... You guys that- did be with Kurt Angle and uh, Jeff Jarrett. They did business together in... You know, when uh, Angle lost his wife to Jared, Karen Jared, Karen Angle, and that's about as big, that sounds to me like it would be bigger dirt than whatever happened here. I don't know. But the other side of it, which I wasn't familiar with, and because obviously, and we'll get to the pay-per-view in a minute, folks, but he was talking about the EVPs and stuff like that, which if you read stuff online was referencing hangman page and stuff and i don't remember this and tried to find it was apparently hangman was saying stuff prior to double or nothing leading to their title match do you remember what it was that well they were in the ring that's the argument they were in the ring whereas right before the paper or or you know whatever it was it was a couple of weeks ago when punk all by himself and Page is not, he was either not in the back, which I doubt. I think he was in the back, but he could not come out to defend himself. So uh, Punk is supposed to be promoting his match with Moxley, but instead he's trashing Hangman Page in Hangman's own city and um, his hometown. And that made no sense to me. And, it, you know, the famous line for Bully Ray, it looked like CM Punk was doing business for himself there. You know, what that might not have been approved or, you know, it might be shoot work like the MJF promo. Who knows if that was legit? I mean, I don't think Tony would have not signed off on it, not allowed MJF to go off on him because he could have cut the, you know, if it was legit shoot, he could have cut the thing and gone right straight to commercial, which is what they ended up doing when MJF was done. If you remember with that promo, they went right to commercials, but they allowed him to go until he had completed his, promo now the other side of this thing before we get into the actual show was and if you want to believe what you read online and such and i don't know i can't speak to it i wasn't there but apparently after the scrum when punk had left there was apparently some sort of altercation with like the bucks and omega and such with punk Punk, and maybe even depending on what version you hear, 
that Ace Steel was possibly involved with that because Ace's wife was supposedly keeping an eye on Punk's dog at the time. Mm. So Ace got involved <laughs> because he didn't want his wife getting in the middle of this. So, Well, I don't know all of what went down because I haven't gotten that far on the, on this mess, this part of it. I don't know. I, I, I don't think you should do anything in wrestling that doesn't lead to money or drawing interest or drawing fan interest or to get ratings or pay-per-view money. You really shouldn't. Everybody's ultimate goal should be that. So I don't know these little things, but there have been all, you know, Meltzer, who's got to be the most trusted source, me and say he and Mike Johnson, who came along, you know, well after Meltzer was already established, um, had been saying there's, you know, all of this uh, negativity in the locker room and blah blah blah. I don't know what what was what 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 do you believe or what have you read to be like the most consistent story? What what happened? How did that? What was the altercation? What led led to it? Like Punk came out of the press conference. Yeah. And was it primarily him and the Bucks initially getting into it, or was Omega primarily or secondarily involved in, say, a verbal disagreement that led to whatever? Well, what I've read, and some of it was from PW Insider, like you said, Mike Johnson's site and all, and because I like you, like you said about reliable sources, but from what I had read, that seems the most consistent. And I'm taking it all with a grain of salt because we know how rumors go with wrestling on the internet. But it was Punk had made this statement during his, I wouldn't say fit, but while he was doing the piss mode, talking about his issue with Scott and everything else like that, was if somebody has an issue, being the EVPs or whatever the case is, and for we should say what EVP is, isn't that a, a different word for agent? Like, you know, an agent for a particular match? Like, no. say that we, no, is it somebody different? Executive vice president within uh, the company. So, who are we talking about is, is executive? Well, Cody used to be something yes. like that, but he's not, he was not in, in that role at that time. Yeah. I don't believe. So, who, that, that would be the Bucks. Omega, and I don't know if Paige had one. Oh, uh, okay. All right. I would think an agent where... They're the putting way- together the matches and stuff. Yeah, you know, like Arn was an agent for X amount of guys, from Mark Henry to all the way up to yeah. uh, Moxley when Moxley was still uh, Dean Ambrose in WWF. Yeah. WWE. No, oh. not that role. But the, Aren't those figurehead positions anyway? How much... That's what I've heard recently that Tony has over time, Tony has taken more of the brass knocks of the company, obviously being the owner and handling creative. He's the lead such. booker. I don't know if there's a booking committee. Who else books? Tony is unusual in that he is Vince like in like he's you know the mammoth head booker but does tony have some underlings that are helping him book or is it straight tony i think people bring stuff to tony but like you said it's the the buck stops with tony that huh. and you know he 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 formats the shows and he you know i mean 
once and everything he, is ECW, you can tell he's bred on ecw we know yes. his dad took him to those shows when he was young and Heyman often but he didn't abuse the turning out the lights for a surprise which usually involves sabu in ecw's case but here it often signals a debut or a return in this case at the great pay-per-view sunday it was mjf's return and i think that was the only lights out lights yeah. on lights out uh, thing that happened but yeah. tony sometimes has used that a little too much and yeah. but hey for a younger guy who we've said this many times on your show crazy train radio which i'm lucky enough to be on with you on is that tony has or i well i don't know i usually bring this up because i see this guy hey this guy's not just wealthy let's put that aside but he has a heart he is doing a product that that he always thinks with the fans in mind it's not like wwe when vince was there was an audience of one everything had to please uh you know king henry the eighth <laughs> and you know the fans and the marks be damned in this case tony is constantly thinking of the fans i mean you how many times have we said i at least myself i'm sure you we don't fast forward any aew we don't fast forward to the good parts because everything is the good part and i watch it live as it happens yeah because i don't want to miss a second of aew anytime oh sorry. anyway so so anyway so that's the difference but but i'm just we got off the track there but like is this semi shoot because Tony uh, has done that before, the like the Bischoff WCW stuff, which he also watched, where, you know, Kevin Sullivan era, where people couldn't tell, okay, is this Pillman Sullivan, Benoit work? Shoot, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. But that's what I'm curious to know. And as you say that, I go back to your original question about when we started talking about this particular topic was, did I see Tony's face? And... I would say yes, and it seemed like the wheels were turning in Tony's case of how do I address this? So that leads to a bigger question for any heat that is legitimately there or whatever the case is between people who were part of the founding pillars of the company being the Bucks, Omega, Page, stuff like that. CM Punk obviously expressed some issues, which, as we mentioned, they have their history, him and Colt, and then possibly this altercation, verbal, physical, whatever may have happened between Bucks and Omega and Punk and stuff. How do you address it? Because obviously you got TV tomorrow and, you know... The, the machine keeps moving. So how do you try to well, you address all parties? That's what Tony should be doing is how can I monetize that? And, and I include that in ratings and maybe announce we're going to have a live and these guys will be shooting. They'll be talking for real. We're going to have them all seated, you know, something like that. And you hype it for a couple of weeks and you maybe have punk on one side and you have, these guys that he allegedly or legitimately has heat with Bucks, Omega, Page on the other side, maybe even Colt Cabana. 
And and then, I mean, man, you could have a, uh, that is the very last, you keep hyping it, having it at the end segment. Sort of like uh, when Tommy Dreamer did that on Impact for uh, wrestle, wrestling court. <laughs> and he built and built and built to it. And even though it wasn't really serious, like in this case, where maybe the majority of it is shoot X amount work. Yeah. But I would think he, you got to monetize it and you got a rating ratings size it because everything revolves around tv ratings ad rates sponsors yeah trying to make profit off it yeah but you know but also it would be something of interest to the fans and that's where i say tony has thinks like a fan and loves and has a heart for the fans whereas uh, and now you see that because now he's almost got an equal in Triple H. He didn't have that in Vince, who disdained. If you ever see him on Broken Skull Sessions when Steve Austin brings up the word wrestling and you see Vince crunch up his nose in absolute disgust at the word wrestling, which did you hear about that tweet that the WWE, was it during their pay-per-view or on Sunday when they just put out the word wrestling and it kind of got buried, but they put out the word wrestling, which is very powerful you know, for them. I mean, from day one, AEW's been about wrestling. Tony Khan is about pro wrestling and beloved guy, all of that stuff. Nice guy, guy with a heart. But now things are going to get very interesting. And uh, I would think Tony has got to utilize something like that, this press scrum, worked or shoot or combo, and turn it into ratings and money. Well, speaking of that, and I will mention this even though we're getting ready to talk about All Out, folks, from Sunday. But I noticed that when I watched, I tend to DVR everything, and then I can sit and go through everything. And I was watching Raw this morning because I heard Braun Strowman came back and you know, this, that, and the other. And uh, but it was not the best way to bring him back. What the hell? Why would he get involved in a uh, multi-tag match? Yeah. But I was watching the show, you know, going through and all. And I was like, wow, going, they're talking, they say wrestling. And it's, I know you've said this to me on air before in terms of instead of medical centers, they, because they were talking they about a medical facility instead of a hospital, they call yeah, them yeah. official instead of a referee. So yeah. last night was the first time in a long time they constantly called the guy a referee. And uh, they mentioned hospital with edge and stuff. It's like, okay. Yeah. So we're getting back to like normal speak instead of the Vinceism stuff, yeah. which was like, it was insulting. And I don't want to call them the universe. They're fans. They're the, they're fans. They're devoted, loyal fans instead of this universe where everything has to be made bigger than it is from wrestlers weights. I mean, Andre was no more than seven feet tall, maybe with lifts, but depending on the promotion, like in Houston and Los Angeles, my home base, my main home base, is Andre, when he came in, would be billed as seven foot five, and most every other territory, seven foot four in the 70s. And the weights of guys like K Stack Calhoun for years and years always billed, no matter where he went, starting with W Tri WF as 601 pounds, and he was, you know, probably close to 480. And we were talking about anyway. But yeah, we were talking about that the other night. Stuff, yeah. terms. But this, with these Vince terms, it was mind-numbing and so insulting to people's intelligence. You can't say the word wrestling. When your product, World Wrestling Entertainment, clearly has the word wrestling in it, that's what they're doing. 
you're using all the same terms, you know, they're saying suplex and uh, sling blade and yada, yada, headlock. Yeah. So we can have a five-hour discussion on that stuff, too. So AEW OL. Obviously, the big take of the show itself. Well, there was two things for me. One being the tag match for the titles was probably the best match of the night. And the other thing being the return of MJF. So overall with the show, what what are you thinking? Which way do we want to go with this? Well, first I want to say, give respects to boxer Ernie Shavers, who died. I think he was 89. He had a famous match with Ali. Just want to throw that out there. Second of all, we were the first people, to, to my knowledge, Dory Funk Jr., the book just came like an hour ago. Mine uh, hasn't. I know it was in the mail, though, like the Gewurz book. And did you not get your Gewurz book? Because I sent you two packages. Yeah, I the, got the one. At the same damn post office. If not, I'll buy you a copy because I, I don't have another one. And they have those aren't selling yet at my Barnes & Noble. I'll just get you one. But here's the back with a ton of photos. I actually have one photo I gave Dory. I didn't think I had any photos in it because I just learned of this book through you a couple months ago. But a photo I had personally given is in here. They don't credit the photos at all. But that's okay. It's a terrific book. He's actually going to do a new one called The Next Generation will be his next book. But the last of a great breed, we had Dory Funk Jr. on before any other show, to my knowledge, to promote this. And I thumbed through it. I read a couple of chapters. It's outstanding. There's tons of Japan stuff, tons of them training Jumbo Saruta. Anyway, back to the pay-per-view, which I I loved it. I mean, I get kind of tired sometimes, uh, mainly because I'm getting old, but... Uh, there was stuff going on at all times. I, I'd like to almost start with the buy-in show. They gave away some tremendous matches. They started with the uh, uh, the Ty Mello. She's now Ty Mello uh, tag match for the AAA intergender championships. She and Sammy uh, defending against uh, Ruby Ri- uh, Rose. Uh, Ruby Riot. Ruby Riot. Yeah, I, I, I get mixed up with her WWE and. AEW names, and then from uh, oh god, what, what's his name? Hernandez. Yes. Newly shaved his head back again. Uh, he's always changing his hairstyle, like Terry Funk used to do in the seventies. Uh, I mean, you've got that. But Ishii against Eddie Kingston was off the charts. I couldn't believe they gave that match. They had like four matches, right? Yeah. Four matches. It was nonstop. Like a lot of these WWE pay-per-views, they just have these boring panels. I don't want to hear that shit. Pardon my language. I want to see some stuff AEW delivered in that buy-in. And that that Eddie Kingston match, I would have paid to see that match. That was a great match. There were four great matches in the buy-in. That was the best of the bunch, but they were all terrific. And I would have ordered the pay-per-view after seeing that Sammy, or excuse me, Eddie Kingston Man, and he won. He, he beat uh, Ishii. Terrific. And, and uh, Eddie hung with him. So I was very impressed. And, uh, I mean, AEW has it all over WWE in terms of 
great announcers. All these announcers are wrestling dyed in the wool. You don't have people brought in off the street from Sirius XM. And that guy's doing a good job on Raw. And, uh, you know, the other football guy doing color on SmackDown is fine. But AEW has, come on, there's no question of what they have in terms of Excalibur, Shivani, Jim Ross, when they bring in Steve Regal with Jericho and Taz. It doesn't get better than that for announcing. So they have everything going on. Um, we said during the tag match, so now we're moving to the tag match. Not only was it the match of the night so far, but it was it's very unusual for the fans to turn on the face team and go, well, with the established face team, that being uh, uh, Keith Lee and Swerve, and, and going for the acclaimed. And it was getting hot. The audience was making it a hotter match than it might have been on paper to where those false finishes and you thought, man, they're going to get the title tonight. And uh, so, you know, and then they went back to the fact that a few times since they started teaming and various uh, battle royals and stuff, Keith Lee and Swerve have had issues. So they, they come back nicely. You know, they plant a seed. And most all of the time, Tony returns to that seed. It may take a while, weeks and months, but that was what made that tag match great. Uh, main event was fantastic. And then, you know, we have MJF on top of it. But there was a ton of great other matches, too. The women's four-way was very, very good. Yeah. That's why I asked you, when we're, since you were talking to tag matcher, we were talk. I brought up about you shooting in Chicago, and the fan base has it always been like that. So, oh, well, they 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 love their history. There's not a well. There are a lot of cities: St. Louis, Memphis, obviously Chicago, um, San Francisco to an extent, and then in Canada, Montreal and Toronto are are mega. And I'm not even including Japan, which is at the the very top of that mountain in terms of the fans appreciating their history and being intense, but, you know, mega, mega history fans. But in terms of vocal stuff and Philly, I cannot leave out Philly or Boston, but particularly Philly, New York, but Philly being the home base of ECW, those have to be still to my mind, possibly uh, either on par with Chicago or eclipsing, Chicago for rabid fans and fans that won't put up with bullshit and who have a mind of their own and won't, would not let Vince McMahon, you know, lead them. Uh, so, but Chicago and Philly are, are way, way up there. I mean, Philly, when I went and shot at the Philly spectrum in the seventies for like Bruno Sparisarian, et cetera, Bruno George Steele, Bruno Tanaka, Bruno Killer Kowalski, they had, do you remember this? They had something over the ring, and I think it was for their hockey team, the, the Flyers, right? Isn't that true? Yeah. Where, like, it would catch bottles. You know, it was like a, a mesh uh, cage to catch shit that the fans might throw. Throwing, yeah. <laughs> so they had that even in the 70s. So that tells you, you get some, this is passionate sports town here. This is a mega, not a Dodgers, oh, we have to leave in the seventh inning to beat the the crowd getting out of the parking lot. No, these are fans that are going to stay to the end and beyond and throw stuff if they don't like shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, Chicago, maybe not that way physically, but 
certainly up there in, in spirit. I mean, I saw riots there. I told you riots with Dick the Bruce and the Crusher. If stuff was not going their way or if they were on defense. Uh, but there was even a riot when the Bruiser and the Crusher, and I was there, took two out of three falls, the AW tax reps from Nick and Ray, Bachwinkle and Stevens. Mm-hmm. There was a riot even for that, and the baby faces won. Sammy Guevara and his new wife, Tay Mello, brand new, that's her maiden name, defeated, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Santana, my bad. It was Ortiz and Ruby Soho to retain the AAA mixed tag team titles. Look, defeated Angelo Parker, of the Jericho Appreciation Society to retain Hook's FTW title. Pack in a great match, better than I thought, defeated Kip Sabian, the uh, paper-bagged, covered Kip Sabian to retain his All-Atlantic title. Eddie Kingston defeated Tomohiro Ishii. Incredible match with that New Japan superstar. Then the pay-per-view. The Joker, who until the very end remained the mystery, until he revealed himself to be MJF, won the casino ladder match. This match was kind of thwarted, as Jonathan and I can talk about, uh, to earn a shot at the AEW world title because it was a great casino ladder, uh, sort of a gauntlet match up until that time when the, the folks came in there and uh, got the casino and just simply gave it to the Joker. The Elite defeated Hangman Page from the Dark Order to win the AEW world trios titles. Jade Cargill defended her... TBS title, Defeating Athena, the former Ember Moon. And, uh, okay, we're back. I was just uh, using the time to read the results. And I okay. stopped at uh, Wardlow, let's see, Wardlow and FTR defeating Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns. How would you rate that match, just that six-man? I thought that was pretty well done. Obviously, there was a lot of storytelling there. and. People will say what they want, but I got a kick out of including who whose was it daughter that they were who was a oh, part of the uh, panel. It was the other guy, not Cash Wheeler, but the other guy. Dax. Uh, yeah, Dax Harwood, uh, his daughter who had the shirt on that, uh, you know, fighting like a six year old girl that went back to one of his promos and uh it was just very nicely done. You know, they bring stuff home. Tony dots the I's, crosses the T's. And that's why I appreciate it that they were trying to, you know, tell that story uh, fully. What, what did she do to uh, it's Sanjay Dutt? Didn't she kick him in the balls or something? Or did she stand on top of him to get, get a second pin? I believe so, yeah. She kicked him, then was part of the. If I remember wasn't that, that wasn't that what Braun Strowman did when he picked a young kid out of the audience who was older than the daughter here? She's only six. Yeah, this kid was like eleven at WrestleMania. At WrestleMania that you're talking about, and and they won the tag titles, right? Exactly. <laughs> that I would do that with uh, uh, Brody Lee's Mr. Brody Lee's uh, son, who will be a wrestler someday. You know, no no doubt about it. Exactly. But, and I brought this up during the show, but it was not to be. They ended up doing it at all out. I want to go back to the uh, Casino Battle Royal, where things went kind of eh with the ending and stuff. Because it was a good match. We all enjoyed it up until that point. Yeah. But does that change your opinion? that they used it to reintroduce MJF? 
No, it was creative because we've never seen anything like that. So you have to look at maybe the bigger picture. Yeah, I was sort of upset that they kind of messed with what could have been a great match because it kind of just, there was more guys to come out, I believe. Yeah. Not all of them had come out. To, uh, maybe I'm wrong. It was supposed to have been, what, eight, nine, a, ten guys total. It, it was the ten, tail end of the match. when it. Yeah, it was a tail end. But, I mean, it could have gone on and it could have been um, better, but – you know, that's the dotting the I's, crossing the T's. The Joker wins. And I bet many others thought like me. I don't know if you thought like me. I thought, oh, they, well, they're not going to reveal who the Joker is until TV. You'll have to stay tuned. But they did it at the end of the pay-per-view, which was an even better way to, you know, put a bow on that package. Yeah. So fast forward there to the main event, Mox and Punk. And obviously, we were talking about Punk earlier from the media scrum and stuff. What were your thoughts on the match? I thought it was pretty hard-hitting. It was hard-hitting. Even though he sold the supposedly injured leg at times, there wasn't enough selling. And it was uh, very hard to believe this guy who just got destroyed however many days ago, nine, ten days ago on Dynamite and lost his title you know, the shortest amount of time anyone's lost an AEW title or at least a world title, maybe not uh, uh, when Hook took his uh, his own TBS title or his F the, F, FT, FTW, uh, the, world, the fuck the world title. It's his own father's belt. His dad is very proud of him, not so much the title, but just what uh, he's, Hook is able to do in the ring. He's uh, sensational. He's just... You know, calling him the um, Jimmy Dean or James Dean of 2022 isn't even doing this kid justice. This guy's going to be hard to I can see, I emailed Taz, I can see soon when it'll be like Tom Jones, my era, late 60s, when the female fans are throwing their panties at Hook, taking off their panties, actually throwing them at him. He's going down the aisle or something. Uh, That's what's next. But I, so... CM Punk didn't seem to be selling it too much, which made my suspension of disbelief a little bit harder, but much better for the match because then you could just focus on, okay, these guys are beating the shit out of each other and stuff is happening and false finishes and a lot of excitement and a lot of brawling. You know, they're both very good. You, you know, you don't see light in their punches, whereas some guys just are not effective punchers and then, you know, others are honorary winners of the Bruiser Brody brawling award like Mick Foley where the stuff is always believable and it is with these guys. So I really enjoyed the match. That was very close second to the tag match, which I really loved, you know, the AEW world tag title match, even though, I mean, because that match got cooking because of the fans. They were just so into the acclaimed uh, that the, the uh, Keith Lee and Swerve were like turned heel by the fans. They just went with it which is the way it should be. Listen to the audience. Maybe they didn't predict that in the booking. Uh, who, who did you think was, I think it was pretty evenly divided. I don't think Punk and Moxley, I think it was like 50-50 in terms of fan support. Did you get that? Thought? Yeah, I did. Even uh, in Chicago, which is Punk's hometown, Moxley got an equal amount of stuff. I don't think the audience would have been unhappy if Moxley one, but it was fairly obvious to us. I mean, you can't have Punk lose again because he was, you know, the biggest whatever free agent brought in. And uh, but 
you know, Moxley didn't look any the weaker. He didn't lose any steam or anything like that. They could easily, can you see them having a, another pay-per-view match or should they go because of the press scrum to maybe Moxley with somebody else like MJF, obviously, and now Hangman Page possibly with a Bucks in his corner against CM Punk, that would seem to be a one-two punch for their next pay-per-view for me. Yeah, I w- as far as Mox and Punk, I it's one of those, it feels like, all right, let's give it some time to breathe and possibly go that route or a different direction with both guys and come back for a uh, part three. Right, because back to the press scrum, maybe you can tell our audience what did CM Punk say about MJF? Because he was semi-trashing him without naming him. It's like, why do I have to wrestle this jabron again type thing? And, <laughs> you know, maybe that is more work because they had some incredible, I mean, it was, the build was incredible. And then Punk, uh, and both Punk and Wardlow going over MJF, MJF, is tremendous. And you have to say this about CM Punk. I was thinking, watching the pay-per-view and talking with you and Evan about it when it was going on and your friend Mark, etc., that these guys, from Christian helping Jungle Boy to all the stuff that Moxie's helped, these veterans, Jericho's helped everybody on the planet in that company. Now he's doing it with the Jericho Appreciation Society. I mean, look at what Jericho's just done with Daniel Garcia. He's turned him into a superstar. Before our eyes, he helped Orange Cassidy get some credibility. Uh, all of these different guys they brought in, even Brian Danielson elevated Daniel Garcia to the nth level. These, I wouldn't call them even grizzled veterans because all of them can still go. Jericho is still amazing. They're all helping these guys. And so, but it's a little different because uh, Moxley, I, I don't know, I would almost say, CM Punk and Moxley have been wrestling approximately the same amount of time, or Moxley just a little bit less, because Moxley was on the indies forever. Yeah. You know, Punk I got to see in Ring of Honor. I shot him even in smaller indies, like uh, a group uh, right in Pittsburgh proper, Norm Connors. I think it was called the IWC. He had tremendous cards using a lot of TNA talent. And CM Punk had, uh, you know, a match. I saw a 45-minute then an hour match CM Punk and uh, uh, Chris Hero on a Norm Connors Pittsburgh show. It's tremendous, tremendous stuff. But what to answer your question there, I would think guys like Jericho and what you were just describing there. Oh, Jericho, Christian, Brian yeah, Danson. With the, the younger guys reminded me of a quote that I heard Terry Funk say in terms of it, there was a certain point that he goes, if I want to leave a business behind, I got to help these younger guys. And he was talking about that early 90s, give or take, ECW era. When he was coming in there, he goes, hey, I think I could do something with him. I think I could do something there. And yeah, he goes, I want to be able to leave something behind by helping this next generation learn. Because if that previous generation don't and it's not like there's the territories anymore where you can go and learn different areas if the vets like a Jericho a Christian etc a Mox don't pass on any knowledge what where's the business going to go 
because you can only watch so much tape and you know it's not the same that the generation you grew up on or even what I saw the tail end of. Is there, I mean, Terry Funk is unusual in that regard because everything from him is total love of the business, 100% heart and wanting to help each succeeding generation, you know, whether it's him with uh, Tommy Dreamer. But I mean, I saw Terry Funk elevate Eddie Gilbert and later the biggest Terry Funk mark in the world, Chris Candido. We gave a pair of his tights to, and Chris wore those until they wore out and until he passed away. The long johns. Chris Candido never had worn long johns before, just straight, you know, short trunks. And another quote from Terry Funk is, uh, there's never a bad day in pro wrestling. You know, every day in pro wrestling is a good day. And that's straight from Terry Funk, right out of his mouth. So you don't really see that. You see guys like Dory Jr. again, who give... Uh, there are others who you really can't say that with guys from their era, territory guys that are still around and I'll throw it out there. Uh, Hogan got better later on, but he was usually looking out for his own clique in my opinion only, you know, the beefcakes, the Jimmy hearts, uh, knobs, maybe to a certain extent, Greg Valentine, but he had his clique of guys and that's, I appreciated he was showing loyalty to his friends. That's a great quote, but you also want to help the next generation, exactly as you said. But we see a lot of that in AEW. I mean, even guys like when Tully was still there, Arn Anderson, uh, look at even, you know, what uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes is doing. It, it, it is pretty phenomenal. And I don't know how many guys you could cite in WWE that are maybe the guys that go from main roster down to uh, like ricochet down to NXT. Uh, they're really helping elevate guys. Dolph Ziggler, who's really an incredible guy, does he's really should be recognized for more. Uh, but you know, so I know that that's cool. I mean, overall, I mean, how can you? I, I guess maybe the match that I was a little uh, depressed or expecting more out of, and I was hoping, I think we all were hoping Athena the former Ember Moon would take the strap from Jade Cargill. What did you think of that match? That was my least favorite match because, yeah. come on, this girl has not, you bring her in with all of this glory and, uh, you know, big deal. And if you shoot her down in her first match, what if he even just had a draw or a count out of the ring or something, which I know fans don't always like double count outs. But something to keep that going, because otherwise Jade Cargill, there's like absolutely nobody on the horizon. I don't even think if they paired her heel-heel with Britt Baker, Britt would, of course, be the face, but like Britt would get destroyed. So there's like nobody they can put against Jade Cargill on the horizon, right. other than maybe their gigantic, the uh, Native American, what, what's her name that Vicky Guerrero manages? Nyla Rose. That might be fun. Somebody that could... A big slobber knocker with those two gals. Uh, what else did we have? Uh, what did you think, though? Tony Storm, that was the right decision in yeah. the women's. Because then you can, you have that built in story, which I think you were going to go with anyway for when Thunder Rosa is able to come back from hair injury because of the relationship they were having on camera. Let me ask, would you have not had, I've, I've, heard and i've said arguments to to both but i i would have thought the money would have been keeping 
Punk and Moxley apart until the pay-per-view. Not have them have that match the week before or the week and a half before where Punk dropped in under three minutes or three minutes 15 to Moxley. I would have had them not touch and just have the fans salivating until they got in the ring and face-to-face each other. You know, maybe a press signing. I don't know. If you if you do press or if you do contract signings for all the big title bouts, that's great. But if you're like WWE and you just do it when, you know, there's a TV need for it, you don't do it consistently all the time, then it feels like bullshit. Uh, AE, AEW, rather, uh, I can't fault them in that department yet. Uh, really little, if anything, I can fault them on because their TV is so damn entertaining and fun. Whereas even still with Triple H, sometimes matches are, are plotting. You know, if you have a match that may not be that great, go on for three segments with three commercial breaks, then you're testing my patience. Yeah, um, I, you know the I would have held, held off in yeah. the unification until the pay-per-view. Because it just didn't, I mean, if you're trying to pop a rating, which I think they did 1.3 million or something for that, then okay, it can be justified. Another match, so... That match at least was competitive because Athena seemed to be really giving it to Jade Cargill, yeah, who showed up, debuted with new hair, not the short bob blonde wig or weave, but now she had you know long dark hair out of the blue. We didn't get any warning about you know we didn't get a, an eggy or a heads up on that. But the Christian Cage defeating Jungle Boy that wasn't even a match. That was kind of a bummer you know, I don't know how or why it was booked that way. Hurt um, injury. One of them has an injury, legit I, injury. Christian I was, uh, that's what I was hearing. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, but aren't you like with, I could draw a parallelism with Dom uh, Mysterio, you know, that obviously Mysterio is not really his real last name. But, you know, turning the boy into a man. Okay, Jungle Boy is turning into Jungle Man. You know, Jack, the the real guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And to have him just, like, destroyed the first big singles match, the first feud, you know, really getting him over. Eh. Okay, that'll bring it. So, but, okay, I understand if Christian was injured or maybe both. But I'm thinking more legit, just Christian. Uh, Jericho Brian Danielson. I was a little this. Jericho went over. Yeah, he went over Danielson. How about what did you think of that match? That was another. That was a banger match too. I enjoyed that. Crowd was into it, and I didn't think it hurt either way. Yeah, it, it, it was weird. The, the Danielson match. Uh, I guess it was the, the. It looked like he was getting destroyed. Garcia got all that offense in from like the first 60, 65% of the match when they were on TV on Dynamite. Um, it looked like Garcia was like just destroying this historic, beloved, legendary young veteran uh, in Brian Danielson. And, uh, you know, you got to say, wow, Danielson was just really putting this kid over big time to the nth degree, creating and this mega star now Daniel Garcia is like mega and he's involved in this Willie or won't he? And, you know, they were showing him at the pay-per-view kind of forlorn that the uh, Jericho won. And now he's bragging that he's, uh, you know, the greatest sports entertainer of them all. You, know, you just say sports entertainer, but now you can't really, that's not going to be able to last that long. 
because no longer do, are they using that terminology. Now they're thankfully calling them wrestlers of WWE. So that won't go too many months more. Do you think, or do you think they can still get mileage out of the Jericho Appreciation Society being sports entertainers, not wrestlers? I think if they do keep the JAS together, they will. Uh, Jericho's always been three steps ahead of the game. I think he'll come up with something to creatively to help keep that going. And how about this? How many different Jerichos, just in AEW alone, the pain maker, you know, they're doing Lionheart, which is the one I saw him in Japan against the Ultimo Dragon. They shot quite a few of their matches there. Jericho also in UWA Mexico is Lionheart. Uh, against and teaming with Owen Hart. Uh, but all of these different, you know, the, the Wizard, uh, Le Champion, and, and the guy with the champagne, he's, he's, been, he's been really given license to bring not just his old characters, but create new ones yeah. in the not even three years AEW's been around, or the maybe, I, I think it's been just shy of three years now. How many different personas as Jericho had, and they're all entertaining and great. He's amazing. That's what makes him good, so. Do you think he's, I think he's the goat, or the, you know, they say Moxley's kind of the heart and soul. I can make a case for Jericho being the heart and soul of all of AEW, because when he came, it transformed that company. That company packed with stars from the get-go, from, from my standpoint of pro wrestling guerrilla Los Angeles basis, from the refs, like Knox, uh, Rick Knox, uh, Excalibur, the announcer, former wrestler, all of that talent, and we're talking all of them, going in and out, Cody, Omega, Bucks, Page, for, in, in and out of Pro Wrestling Gorilla, you know, with some uh, Ring of Honor thrown in there. Uh, Orange Cassidy, that's the first place Melcher and I ever saw him, was Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Yeah. And, uh, to answer the question, it would okay. be, I would think uh, Jericho, like you said, there was a bunch of stars, but Jericho gave it that national, or some may even say international, thumbs up because he had that 20 years in WWE, but also had his time in Japan and WCW. And he's been around, so he kind of gave it that thumbs up of credibility. And he is really pro AW. He's gotten into a bit of a war of words after he heard what Hunter said to uh, Arwani on uh, whatever that was, a radio show or a podcast, Ariel Arwani. And, and he gave it to him. Like For a long time, when he first joined AEW, Jericho would not trash Vince or WWE. He was kind of more politically savvy and smart. But now he has no problem giving them shit and calling Hunter out when he feels like Hunter is maybe not being honest in, in Jericho's mind. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that about Chris. And you remember, too, like he was misused quite a bit towards the end. Like the last year and a half, he was kind of misused in WWE. Not so in AEW where the fans have gone crazy for him, you know, the, the music stuff, everything. And it's amazing to see. Okay, how about Sting, Darby Allen, and Miro beating House of Black? What are you reading into that? Because Alistair Black asked for his relief, released for he needed mental health time off or something. I don't know 
where that's coming from, and maybe you can illuminate us on that. But Tony, refusing to give him his relief release, he does the bow or curtsy at the end of the match after losing. He's the one that dropped the fall, right? Yeah, which is rare for when House of Black drops a fall. It's usually not Alistair. Yeah, the and, leader of the group. Yeah. So... What are you making of that situation? There's some weird politics. We've been talking at length about CM Punk, but there's some problem there. And I don't know why you would think Alistair was like totally super happy that I think Cody was the guy to bring him into AEW. Exactly. Um, If anything, if there is a mental health situation going on, and I'm not going to make light of that, I think right now you might just get some time off. Yeah, just yeah, to kind of, like what like what they did with MJF. Just get a little time off to, even though you're only doing one show a week. When you think about it, it's three days because you travel in show day and travel out. So, you know, maybe some time off might make the make things work out for him. But do we know the MJF stuff? Wasn't that still a debate over? He was getting the money he wanted but he didn't want to sign long-term. And that was more the issue than any other potential reason to to keep him off TV all this time. Yeah. So he was earning a paycheck too, but black, I haven't heard him being unhappy at all because he has his best friend, legit uh, Brody King there. And, uh, and, and the two, you know, with buddy, he really hit it off in that series on the WWE, wasn't it SmackDown? Was it SmackDown or Raw? Probably so. Incredible Smack- match. Those yeah. are the best matches probably the last three, four years in Raw and SmackDown, consistent matches. Those guys had incredible bouts, uh, which is, you know, you can't always say that about WWE product. But the, you can say that about pay-per-views and house shows, but sometimes the TV, the, the matches are either overproduced or lacking in some way I can't put a finger on. Yeah. And AEW, and you know, the other thing about AEW too, that Hunter has a ways to catch up on, but he's trying is everybody and every match, but every person matters from the, the lowest guys on the totem pole. Like the attitude error, pretty much, where everybody had something. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, you know, but some of these guys that are on these long term contracts that you only see in dark and elevation, like Sunny Kiss or, uh, uh, gosh, there are there some women that, I have not been on TV. You know, the, the one doing the horror gimmick, what's her name? Abaddon. Yeah. She hasn't been on TV, you know, and, and the last time she was on TV, she hadn't been on way over a year. And then they bring her on for a couple of shows. She has a great match with Britt Baker, uh, where Baker had to play face. And then she's gone again for well over a year, way over a year, but she's dropped some pictures. She's changed her look. Have you seen some of those pictures? Where she's I have looking- not. She looks pretty cute. You know, she doesn't look like total monster you would not want to go out with if you were a dude or, you know, whatever your predilection. But, you know, it's not somebody you would be like physically attracted to. And now she put out some stuff. She's still wearing the crazy context, but she looks pretty presentable, shall we say. Yeah. And more feminine. And I was kind of surprised. So, but give these people some TV. It's very hard because... Tony's top show is two hours compared to Raw with three. and um, But they are doing something smart if people have the time with those 
online only shows, you know, go to YouTube, YouTube slash AEW to watch Dark and Elevation. Those are TV shows in their own right. Like Paul White calls one and is Mark Henry on the call on the other one? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so people should be watching, you know, all of that. But that helps. But most people, I think, are just tuned to TBS and TNT. And they may go, geez, where is this person I haven't seen in a year? And uh, they're there. They're just kind of in the background. It's hard. Everybody deserves TV time and a backstory. And, uh, but, but, you know, what a roster. That roster is like second to none. It is killer. You talk about, okay, New Japan has an incredible roster for them. But AEW, with people coming in, I mean, just really, I mean, Ishii wasn't really, like, advertised. The guy has a, a killer match. It was absolutely incredible. And on the free show. Yep. I still can't get over that. Those great matches, and all four of them were great. The hook match was great. Uh, the pack match was great. Obviously, the tag. Uh, you know, anytime you get Ty Mello and Sammy, you know you're going to be entertained. So, to put a bow on this, what's next, do you think? In well, you- that's what I think is the next. You have two good programs. You have, you know, the, the manufactured CM Punk and MJF, that's straight pure wrestling booking a little shoot thrown in and then you may have like nearly 90 percent shoot in the say punk starting off with uh with hangman page you know, going back to that you know battling in a non-title situation for both sort of a grudge battle of words maybe have a i wouldn't say call it a battle wrap off but have a, ba- a battle of words leading into their match you know where they can both trash each other on tv big time and and bring up some shoot stuff and maybe have Colt Cabana as the ref for the first one. <laughs> there you go. That would be fun. I mean, you have a lot of stuff. You have the potential breakup of the former tag champions, and I'm sure they need to have a title rematch, uh, you know, maybe where they claim could beat them. You know, they're coming to New York. They're coming to Arthur Ashe. That would be uh, the, the backyard of the acclaimed. Have it there. Have the place go bananas. Have it look great on TV. So there, you have all kinds of things coming out of this pay-per-view. There's always, you know, the leading into the next thing when Thunder Rosa gets healthy. And then we haven't even talked about what is going on with her and Tony Khan because he kind of sounded like he dissed her unless that was sort of a shoot. But when she goes against Tony Storm, that's going to be incredible. Uh, international superstar for people that don't know. Go back and look at the stuff Tony Storm's been doing for years. Yeah. In Japan, even. You know, and I guess that would be you know, if someone had to say, gee, is there a successor to all Japan women? It's Rossi Ogawa's stardom, which is where all of these talents, Io Shirai and uh, uh, gosh, Asuka and, and Tony Storm and even uh, uh, B Priestley, who is the spouse of Will Ospreay. Uh, she had some shit incredible matches in stardom. And it's a shame. I guess she hurt somebody, so they won't bring her back to AEW. I think she hurt Britt Baker. And sadly, we won't see B. Priestley, who's one of the top women internationally, uh, back, as we should. But, you know, you got a plethora of incredible Japanese women alone on the the roster. I'd like to see some more stuff with Nyla Rose. Where Don't you think they could position? Well, I, I would turn her face, take Vicky off her for a time being, or maybe have heel heel against uh, Jade Cargill. I think that that could sell some some tickets. And yeah, why not? 
I mean, have them beat the shit out of each other. And Nyla is the more experienced. So I'm sure she could carry Jade to uh, an acceptable or great match. You got, uh, where does Sting and Darby go here? Like, you know, if uh, Miro, I, I can't remember. Did Miro get the, the pin on uh, Alistair? I Something don't remember like off the top of my head. But where, like, where do you see Darby? And, and we saw Pack this uh, juice. Orange Cassidy, uh, but they're going to have a match. Obviously, yeah. they'll still have a match, even though Pack will going at Gregory. Is Pack a heel or a face? It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, exactly. With the Lucha Bros, they're incredibly over, but at times he can act very heelish. Yeah, and that I've heard out about his actual personality, but oh, he's so. Oh, uh, he's so chill and, and stuff backstage. I took a ton of pictures uh, in, like, it wasn't really even for the press so much. At WrestleMania 2015, uh, him and Kevin then, he was still Steen. I think he, he was, I don't even know if he debuted on the NXT roster, but Kevin Steen pack with Shawn Michaels in this area where it's like the WWE press lady and Jerry Briscoe's roaming around eating and having soft drink, etc. And uh but but Pac was so chill and loves like William Steve Regal or any of the British guys, Seamus, when you talk about classic 70s British wrestling, Pac loved talking about Adrian Street and Mick McManus and Jackie Paulo Sr. and Jr. and Kendo Nagasaki, all these, you know, British guys, hard of Brit giant haystacks and all this stuff. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe you've heard that about Pac. Uh, the Pac I've seen backstage, you know, on the buses and all that stuff has been a pretty chill guy who just loves talking about wrestling history. So and maybe it's who, who gets around him. Well, Dr. Mike, thank you so much. And again, don't forget uh, the Dory Funk Jr. book. I, I guess you they want you to go. That's what Marty said. Go right on Amazon. Last of a great breed. But this is... You know, Terry put out a book. He kind of got ripped off by the publisher, same publisher that did Dusty and Bill Watts, and I think and Steve Williams' books. But this one, because the Funks are in charge of it, they uh, uh, did a, a real nice job. And, you know, that photo here on the front, that's in Los Angeles. Not my shot, but it's Theo Eric's shot in the dressing room of the Olympic Auditorium. Dory Funk Sr. on the far right, Terry and Dory Jr. then. Uh, NWA champ. That's 69, a couple of months after he won the strap from Kanisky. He was in to actually wrestle Blassie in the Battle of Los Angeles. Territory, very short territory war. Vern Gagne uh, with Jack Kent Cook at the Fabulous Forum. Jack Kent Cook owned the Lakers and the Kings, the hockey team, versus the long-established Cali, Joel Strombo, Mike LaBelle, LA, NWA office. So anyway, uh, but always a pleasure and a lot of fun with you and uh thanks thanks for everything and i enjoyed it i give it a whole hearty thumbs up everybody should if they've not ordered all out go check it out and their tv wednesday and friday dynamite and rampage and the internet stuff as well dark and elevation
thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting now that's what I call depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. writes this shit. Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hey guys, it's Candace Michelle, and I'm so excited to be a part of Crazy Train Radio. I hope you guys tune in to this live interview.